You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Welcome back for another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me this evening is... Lex Cardone. David Wimmer. And we're recording on May 19th, 2019. So, um, we're back for another episode, and we're going to do the EU elections tonight, which is basically a big clusterfuck, um, to say the least. And Because most of the things we talk about can't be described as clusterfuck. Like nothing ever, yeah, nothing ever, <laughs> nothing ever goes good with everything we talk about. I don't know why. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the EU is kind of just... Also really complicated. Um, that's why we have special guest Dave Dave Wimmer because yeah. uh, uh, this is basically what he specializes in. Because he likes sure. yeah, I mean explaining the EU to, to idiots just about everybody. Yeah, okay, yeah, I said idiots, but you know, yeah, us, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> essentially. Uh, I, I mean, I read some articles. We're good. Um, but before we get into that, this mess, uh, our beers tonight. We are drinking the Firestone. Hazy IP, or Hazy IPA Mind Haze. Where is this from? And what? I think I've asked this before. What is a Hazy IPA? I don't know. Because it does have, have I'm, a... I'm th- going to, this, has been the, this is the number three in a row. I've got a Hazy IPA. Mm. Yeah, we really don't change up our beer choices very often. It's like... Well, maybe you guys can buy it then. That's fair. Because <laughs> I, I, I... I think the last time I bought them, it was an IPA, though. So I yeah. can't really talk. I, um... Where's where's this brewery from? Oh, California. Okay. Um, it'd be nice if it had taste. <laughs> I uh, I don't like this. I'm gonna switch to a natty bow after this. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna chase with a natty bow. It's like water. It doesn't. Ha- it's just. There's something like. It almost has taste, and then it's like, nope. Just kidding. Yeah, I don't mind it, but like. I, I might I get an IPA off of it. Yeah, I can't no. figure out what the hazy is because it, this. I've had other hazy IPAs that taste kind of like this, and I just can't. It's like it's well, like the DC, the DC half, Brel, they took out half of the flavor and like left the, and left the water in there. So yeah, the DC. I mean, the DC Brown Joint Resolution Hazy IPA. IPA. I really like that one a lot. Really, but this yeah, this thing sucks. Yeah. All right, so out of five, what do we rank it as? I know what mine's gonna be. I would say it's fine. I I, I would say three. I'd say two. We'll go with. One two point two two five because I accidentally hit that. <laughs> <laughs> really scientific. I was, I was trying to do like, do like two point five. I was like, no, well, that's what it is. Uh-uh. All right, that's uh, this is one of the worst ones we've had in a while. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not bad. It's just not good. Yeah, it's just it's, it's yeah, real real high brow beer talk here. I'm almost dramatic. Yeah. It's like kind of good. I don't know. It's yeah. like okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll drink it because I'm Next going time, to. Yeah. Next time we'll get like a our our in-house beer expert. Do we know anybody who works yeah. in a brewery? Yeah. Uh, I know. I know somebody who'd be perfect. We're gonna do like what is beer episode? I think at some point. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, because I did instead of going to the the brew shop, I went to um <laughs> to Whole Foods because I needed to buy shit for grilling later. Because tonight is more importantly the last season, the last episode of Game of Thrones. Oh God! What's gonna happen? Half half of the fans are gonna be disappointed, and half the fans are just gonna be like, "Okay, fine, <laughs> it's like, over." No, the petition. We gotta Nobody fight cares. this fight. We have to fight HBO on this. Yeah. Anyway, 
So, <laughs> instead of petitions and garbage... Um, <laughs> Perfect segue. Oh, that was a good segue. <laughs> Dave, um, let's kind of go into, I mean, a, I guess a brief, like, what the, how the EU is... What is the EU? What like, is this thing? Why are we talking about yeah, it? Yeah, why, why are we doing this episode on Sure. I mean, so, uh, we're getting close to next weekend from Thursday to Saturday is the elections for the EU parliament. Sorry, Thursday to Sunday. Yeah. Um, essentially... 28 different elections to elect members to something called the EU Parliament, uh, which in one way is somewhat important because it does have some impact on the policymaking of the EU. In other ways, not very important because it's only one of a lot of different uh, bodies of the EU that makes decision making and really is probably the least important of the four. Um, so we're the four big ones and they have very similar names to be as confusing as possible. We have the EU Parliament, you have the European Commission, you have the Council of the European Union, and then you have the European Council. Dual councils. <laughs> right. Popular front of Judea. Right. And you can even add a fifth into that in the European Court of Justice, because the European Court of Justice right. is started as like a random thing and got even more important. But keep it simple. Spiraling bureaucracy. Correct. Keep it simple. Creeping, creeping, creeping bureaucracy. Right. The executive branch, so to speak, of the EU mm-hmm. is the European Commission, which are uh, 28 different sort of departments. They're called commissioners each from one member state uh, who has a different portfolio ranging from like trade to social entrepreneurship. You know, it gets, it gets pretty, they've had to right. add as they've added member states have had to add these portfolios. <laughs> Which make up something for this person. To yeah, do. Exactly. <laughs> kind of a little bit. Uh, and so they sort of form uh, the executive branch. They're really powerful. Um, Marguerite Vestager, who's the uh, commissioner for competi- uh, competition uh, is the big person who's been getting at Google and Apple for tax evasion, for uh, privacy regulation. So they could be pretty powerful. Uh, then the two sort of legislative sides of the EU is the European Parliament and something called the Council of the EU. And the Council of the EU is essentially whenever the ministers from the member states get together. So there's, if it's the transport ministers and they're talking about transport policy, they're the Council of the EU for transport. If it's um, you know, the foreign ministers, they're talking about foreign policy, but mm-hmm. it's the interior ministers, interior policy. So it's not just a single, like, um, the, whatever the EU minister for the UK or something or a general thing. It can be depending on right. the, which the, group of, it's the minister yeah. for energy. It's okay. the minister for commerce. Um, all part of that. And then the European council is the heads of government of all the different EU nations. And essentially they are the primary decision maker for most of what's going on. It didn't used to be that way until recently. Uh, Angela Merkel really has been driving the European Council to being really powerful. And essentially they have veto over everything else. So (laughs) really they could do whatever they want Uh. because they're the ones who are the representatives of the government. Um, And so for a long time, throughout most of the EU's history, the EU parliament has been sort of the hotbed of what you'd call EU integrationists, Eurocrats, the guys who really like the EU, uh, you know, they're really pushing to get more integration, make this more important, uh, because mainly nobody cared about these EU parliament elections. The turnout was like 30%. Yeah. Uh, it's still it's sort of around that, that point. And people who were voting were people who knew what the EU was and supported it. Um, and so the, you know, the founding father, so to speak, of the EU wanted the parliament to be the driver of integration along with the commission, sort of against the member state governments who were always pretty skeptical. Ironically, now, when we're talking about the EU parliament, it's because these elections have sort of been hijacked by the populace and the anti-EU folks into being really their ability to impact EU policy. Because essentially, EU policy is run by whoever the prime minister is, and they tend to be not very populist, although we have some notable examples. Yeah. Um, and so really what we're talking about in these elections is the potential for the far right to have a very good couple nights um, to increase their vote share. Um and potentially cause some havoc in the EU. Yeah. Who are the big players in the far right or 
whether you want to call them populist or far right or Euroskeptic, what, what's the, sure. yeah. So you know, for years, it was Marine Le Pen out of France using the Front National. However, yeah. she's sort of been eclipsed by uh, Matteo Salvini in Italy, yeah, yeah. who really is a driving factor. And he's what's making these elections fascinating because we have political groupings in the EU parliament, which are essentially, okay, all the center-right parties are in one grouping, all the social democrat parties are in one grouping, yada, yada, yada. There's about eight of them. Uh, and Salvini has decided, you know, there's a couple of these far-right Eurosceptic parties, and he's kind of blown up, and he's going to do his own political grouping. Yeah. Um, and potentially, that's the grouping that's going to expand the most, um, especially some of these other parties have some really big internal problems we might get to, like in places like Hungary and Poland. Uh, so he is sort of now seen as sort of the, to, you know, he's Italian, so they got to put this moniker on him, the godfather of the uh, European Christ. right. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. And they call the Executive Council the European Commission, so yeah. Okay. Correct, correct. But I mean, this is a guy who's a deputy prime minister in Italy, so he's not, he's not the full right. guy. He's the uh -huh. junior coalition partner, yeah. and yet, uh, you know, he's in with the Five Star Movement, which is another year skeptic party, but much less on the far right, so to speak, traditionally. But... The five-star movement's not doing well in Italy right now. They are crashing in the polls. And Le uh, the Northern League, or now the League as they call themselves, which is Salvini's party, is really gaining. And so his, his, he's probably going to have the best night of any national party. And it much galvanize him to really connect a lot of these disparate far-right parties that can, you know, are, are aligned on some things and very much not aligned on other things mm -hmm. um, to potentially form a, a pretty key block in the European Parliament. I would say, though... A lot, there's a lot of overemphasis on what's going to happen because we're talking about the 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 far right or the Eurosceptics going from something like you know 100 seats to 250 seats, and there's 750 seats right. in the parliament. So they're not getting anywhere near a majority. They're you know maybe one if you combine them with the sort of mainstream Eurosceptics, which are like the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom, they're maybe at a third. Mm -hmm. So enough to cause some disruption if there's enough. If there's enough, uh, you know, disagreement between, say, the Social Democrats and, and the Christian Democrats, but not enough to like, there should not be a headline written. And I know it will be that the European <laughs> par the European Parliament is now in the hands of Eurosceptics or the far right. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah it, well, it, that's it, comforting to hear. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah, I think the issue that will come about is, just, like, well, I think it could be more like, the next elections. Like, you know, if, they, if they, the, the ball keeps rolling in that kind of way, it also it kind of gives somewhat legitimacy to a lot of those populist groups who are like really just banking a lot of the issues like immigration and the terrorism stuff that's been going on like how many years now and yeah so but you so talk well. about a lot of these you know the parties in poland and hungary having their internal issues and then you have uh no not northern league um five star dropping in the polls so and that's kind of on the other side we saw you know greece once the kind of um in, in their in their case, the left wing Eurosceptics came in, and they people realized that they weren't too great at governing either. They kind of fell off pretty hard, pretty fast. So, but but yeah. I would I would throw this out there because mm -hmm. this is sort of the counterexample to this narrative right. is Syriza, the Greek far right. left party. Everybody thought these were these communists that were going to torpedo right. Greece. Have actually tacked incredibly to the Senate. Yeah, I mean Cyprus because Cyprus did this name deal with North Macedonia mm -hmm. has been really helpful to the United States in a lot of things. Cyprus is one of the pop most popular guys in Europe now. Yeah, having been on the face of the Economist is like this is the guy who will kill Europe yeah. now. <laughs> suddenly, it's now, like it's golden like... boy Macraw almost. Wow. <laughs> And so, and I was saying, yeah. you know, a lot of these part, all these, you know, um, political groupings might shift. A thing that's out there and, in the realm of possibility yeah. is Cyprus, is, who's in the far left grouping right now, could very easily move to the center left, mm -hmm. even further. I mean, I, I don't want to yeah. go too overboard where he may move. And so, there's going to be all this different shifting. A big thing that's that changed huh. from 2014 to now is Macron's party didn't exist in 2014 right. on March. 
So they're going to almost, you know, they're probably going to add to a third of the liberal Democrats right. blocking there uh, at the expense of the socialists who have dropped off completely in France and most of Europe. The socialists, mm-hmm. socialists yeah. are going to have the worst night out of anybody. Yeah. Um, but we have some of this moderation of, uh, and, you know, in Germany, you're probably not going to see an increase of the far right vote. I'll mm-hmm. go out there on a limb and maybe say that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these other places, even in Spain, it's yeah. only going to be a little bit. It's not going to be a huge swing in a lot of these countries, but uh, it'll. Yeah. You know, they're going to gain seats, obviously. I was going to ask about Spain. How do you th- how is Podemos going to do? Uh, Would... So, I mean, we just had a general election, so yeah. it's probably going to follow the same way. And, and right. really, the the story of that election was less of how Podemos did and how the socialists have bucked the trend in Spain versus the rest mm-hmm. of Europe. Right. Um, and how uh, really the PP, which is the center-right party, mm-hmm. attempted to tack to Podemos and say, okay, we wanted to co-opt yeah. as much of their policies. Ended up, they both just ended up eating up each other's votes and right. didn't do very well. Huh. Um, so like Syriza tax to, the, tax to the right, Podemos is pretty much what it was three or four years ago, mm-hmm. except they seem to be yeah, in a sorry, much... I should, much, I should, yeah. uh, I should uh, correct that. It's PP wasn't tacting towards Podemos. It was right. uh, tacting towards the, the Vox, the far-right party there. Right. Uh, Podemos, obviously, the far-left yeah. one. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, but so we had this the, the left potentially, a couple parties there potentially changing their tack. That's not the case in all these places, but... Yeah. Okay. How about the impact of... The, I mean, is, are, is the UK going to participate or are they yes. not? Yes. So that's... <laughs> they like, are. It's, it's really funny that they are because, you yeah, know, they're, Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's, it's still going to be around 750 seats. So it's still 751 seats. Yeah. Okay. Um, if, when, if ever the UK leaves, uh, those will go down to 705, which is not the number of seats the UK has. So we're going to get in yeah. this awkward territory and the commission hasn't really done a good job of explaining how this is going to yeah. happen yet. What? We're going to get... We're going to get... <laughs> MEPs, members of European Parliament, yeah. who were elected, who are going to end up losing their seats because the UK leaves, and they're not in the UK. I mean, they're, we're going to have to have a rejigger of the allocation. Is, is, it because, is yeah. that because of like the population thing? So it's like if it takes away like, like, with sixty million people or whatever from the EU. Uh, yeah, actually, I got to correct myself because my math was completely off here. We're going to have have to add seats, so there'll be members mm-hmm. who are not currently elected who will be added in oh, because okay. uh, the UK is about seventy three seats. Yeah, I know it's about seventy three <laughs> seats, kinda, and we're losing yeah. fifty seats or so. It's kind of like the divorced dad who, like, yeah. there's like a holdover between when he can move out and when the new lease starts. So he's kind of just hanging out, still participating in family activities. <laughs> well, so what's really interesting there is, uh, you know, if you're looking at the UK projections right now, the Brexit party, Farage's sort of attempt to revamp UKIP after UKIP had so many yeah. public faux pas, it was really not, couldn't stand <laughs> anymore, even though they are still running. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brexit party is not going to join Salvini. It, has, it said it's not going to try to join Salvini. They actually want to try to join the Five Star Movement. Really? But they have a couple other smaller parties in other countries. But in order to form an official grouping in the parliament, you need it from seven countries. And they're nowhere close. They're about like four right now. Mm-hmm. So you could have these these you know, probably 25 to 27 Brexit members of European Parliament who sit in their own grouping and are not part of a, a coalition with anybody else, yeah. which should be interesting. Uh, maybe they shift to Salvini when the, when the cards are all played. But. Yeah. And obviously the, the DUP in Northern Ireland, probably a minnow on the scene when it comes to Europe as a whole, but um, very much over um, represented in the UK, in UK domestic politics are that, you know, they're kind of the, um, the, Northern Ireland Eurosceptic Party, Eurosceptic uh, Loyalist Party, do they have much of an impact in this, or is this? No, I mean kinda, the Northern Ireland just, just too so small. small yeah, um, that and we'll at least from a symbolic change. point of view, yeah. Just, uh, like again, we're we're the co-ruling party of the United Kingdom, but 
Yeah. Right. And, and and these elections, unlike the other UK elections, are all run on percentages. Right. So you, you're not running on individual constituencies. I gotcha. Um, so the DU, I, I, I haven't seen the projections in Northern Ireland. They're likely going to stay the same because right. the UK only has 73 seats and Northern Ireland is so small compared to the rest yeah. of the UK. We're not talking about yeah. even 10 seats. There aren't um, too many undecided voters in Northern Ireland, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with this, I guess, so... Why are people skeptical of the EU? EU? Like, why is it? Why is? Why does everyone hate it? Like, wh- let's talk about that a little bit, so we can kind of go back to like why the populists like, are getting. Why do Why do people support? hate it, and why do people like it? Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I think the second question might be harder. Um, the EU has always attracted a significant amount of criticism from different sources, and stuff has changed. So, on the far left. Uh, and we get this a little bit with Jeremy Corbyn in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. who's a Eurosceptic comrade. Comrade Corbyn. From the far left. Still is yeah. in the closet. But. <laughs> from, from the far left, the mm-hmm. criticism has always been that this was a capitalist construction that is essentially only um, uh, here in order to increase profits of bankers and such. Mm-hmm. Because what is the EU? The EU is a European common economic zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's its foundation. Um, really, where criticism of the EU comes in is a disagreement about how far this thing goes because it's never been decided. Mm-hmm. There's never been a good answer to that question. Um, and it's never been finite. This thing keeps changing. Like, this is what we want the EU to be. Right. Yeah. And we keep changing. Since 1992, we've had, like, five serious attempts to re- seriously, radically reform the EU. About three or so have been successful. Um, and there's not a... They still haven't answered the fundamental question, is this thing just a trade agreement? Or is this a new country, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and there's a whole and lot everything of between, area yeah. in between. The United, yeah. United States of Europe. Of Europe. Yeah. But really, its weakness is that it's lied in the gray area. Right. It's not a country, and it's not a trade agreement. It's something in between. And the question of what is the EU is a question that a lot of Europeans can't answer, let alone Americans. It's really complicated. Uh, it's not easy for, pol- for publics to understand. It's not easy for national politicians understand if you look at the way nigel farage talks about the eu he just generally doesn't understand most of how the eu right. works uh and he's a guy who technically is supposed <laughs> to be an expert on this stuff yeah. right so um, it's it's, you, mo- it's mostly the eurocrats in brussels who have a reasonably high understanding compared to the rest of us but also brussels is is guilty of a lot of double speed right um the European Commission long, I mean, there's, sig- there's significant criticism you could level against the European Commission about misleading people about where it was going, how it was pushing integration, uh, the power it was given. I mean, these these are guys who want to keep their jobs, obviously. It's human nature here. They yeah. want to expand their powers. They want to have the most impact they can have. But, you know, there's countless examples of in pretty deep policy areas of the commission saying, oh, that's that's not our portfolio. Don't worry. This is still the remit of national governments. Then coming back three years later and saying, by the way, no, we have power here. And we'll go to the court yeah. to make sure we have power here. And yes, we're going to do what we want. Yeah. As, as I, think, like, I think it's the main thing that people like really, especially like, this, like the populists are really playing up the sovereignty shit, but it's like, which there's, there's to degrees is true. You know, everyone's like, oh, we want to have make yeah. our own decisions. But then it's like, like, calm the fuck down. Like the Brits, uh, the Brits obviously overreacted to the Brexit stuff because, like, they're obviously yeah. But as I said, like, you can't. I mean, the mis- national politics or national politicians, regular constituents, you can't really trust when the EU says this is where the lines are because the EU doesn't even know where the lines are when it comes to so- national sovereignty versus but yeah, integration. But I would also say, and this is the key thing to remember for all of these elections: these elections are first about national politics and about EU politics second. Mm-hmm. And it has always been that case, and it remains that way. Yeah. So as much as this is about the EU as a boogeyman, so to speak, mm-hmm. if you ask 
the you know a northern league voter why he's voting for salvini sorry league i gotta i've been called northern league for yeah. 10 years and i've changed their name uh rebrand right uh <laughs> if you ask a league voter why they're voting the answer is likely not going to be brussels and if it is it's not really about brussels it's sort of it's mainly about listen i've had policymakers in rome who haven't known what the hell they're doing and they've failed miserably at shocking. it. shocking right again shocking <laughs> if you ask a le pen voter it's because they don't think that Paris has been providing political leadership on the policy. And they're not, they're not and they're not rounding up the Jews and Muslims, so I don't understand why they're they don't you know, that's basically what they're like, Macron, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> right. But uh This literally. is Europe, we're good at these things. <laughs> yeah, national But fun. it's 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 about disenchantment with European elites and it, it goes back to the financial crisis, which Europe has not recovered politically from yet. Mm-hmm. They've recovered economically, but they have not recovered yeah. the trust in I mean yeah. it's similar to the United States. We haven't really recovered of trust in political elites to lead. <laughs> Right. Um, it's only gotten worse. It's so weird. So it's the same. And, it's, the, and it was compounded by the immigration crisis. Okay. By the migration refugee crisis in Europe, yeah. which was again for many Europeans was seen as a, as a failure of political leadership right. in order to to actually feel like their views were taken into account. So the forces that are behind this are similar to the ones behind the yellow vests in France or the you know the, um, the as don't. you said the immigration issues in and Italy especially, but across Wait, Europe. It is, yeah. it is no coincidence that the two biggest of these populist far-right parties in terms of seats in this, in this week's elections will be in Italy and France. Right. Um, those are the two countries that have been on the front lines of the migration issue, um, have serious grievances with how Brussels has treated the migration issue. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk but, about but the top I treat, three. I treated me not really do much about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the top three <laughs> countries that have the most, really, a bone to pick with how the EU has handled this is Greece, Italy, and France. Right. Because essentially Brussels... Pure geography. Yeah. Right. Because essentially Brussels has said, sorry, you're on your own. I mean, they would never publicly say that, and they've tried to couch it but, in an okay. No, no, Merkel has tried to take some success with it, but essentially she's told them the same thing. No, it's like, your, it's your responsibility. It's like, yeah, we're integrating ourselves as a greater European commonwealth, but like, no, if they land on your shores, you have to pay for it. Well, that's rather like, they're like, you know, sovereignty, like, no, 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 it's all integration, integration. Oh, no, no, that's you. You got to do that. We yeah. don't want to deal with that. Yeah, the lines haven't been clearly drawn yet. And it's, <laughs> it's very veiled, but there is still, Germany is still the, the key in this, mm-hmm. in that, uh, a lot of states around Europe still have and see in the EU a distrust of the power that is concentrated in Berlin. I mean, mm-hmm. so the European Central Banks and the European Court of Justice sits. Sorry, the European Central Bank sits in Frankfurt. Okay. Yeah, uh, the European Court of Justice is not. But, uh, you know, Berlin still calls the shots on a lot of the economic stuff, which is essentially 90% of what the EU is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, especially in Southern Europe, there's a, still a whole lot of hesitance with that power that Berlin continues to play with. And there, there's less and less patience for that. There yeah. was patience for it in the 90s, in the 70s, and the 80s, when a lot of these countries were still transitioning to actually fully right. healthy democracies um, and were still recovering economically, even from the Second yeah. World War at that point. There was patience to let Berlin continue to sort of, at, you know, at that time, yeah. not Berlin, but yeah. uh, Bonn, but yeah. uh, let Germany call the shots with Paris and with London. Um, less and less patience for that now. Yeah, and even, I mean, this... There's Germany, and then the other pillar of the EU, France. Um, there's been a lot of contention for the, for similar reasons between the two, whether it's trade imbalances or, um, and you know, any any of those economic issues that um, Macron has been repeatedly going to almost hat in hand to um, Angela Merkel and trying to hash out a deal. That she's would, essentially just said she's, no. she said no because yeah. politically she can't at home, right? That would be. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think it's yes, she politically can't do it at home, and two, it's not 
it's not what her party believes in. It's right. not what she believes in. Yeah. And she's in this position where she doesn't have to accede to any demands from Paris. Right. Um, but if her interest... Nice you think but, that, but... but if, her, if her interest is, is lies... She's not the one who has street protests right now. I mean... Right. She's not in the weekend, right? <laughs> but, like, if, if her interest also, lies it, in propping up people like Macron versus actual Euroskeptics and people who want to slow or reverse the integration of Europe... Doesn't she have an obligation to throw him a bone or two? Sure, and, and, she and has, take. And she's, yeah. a, she's a genius at this, right? Yeah. She goes to <laughs> and her and Macron have gives thing gives up without giving. Oh yeah, they sign this new cooperation treaty between France and Germany, which is pretty much all show. I, I, you know, I want to. Yeah. I'm a little bit yeah. over exaggerating there. There's some there's some stuff in there, but it's it's not the engine of the EU as that they had um, sort of Envision. made it out to be. Um, yeah. We haven't really seen any of that reform effort. Um, it's beginning to bite Merkel a little bit in the back because she's right. having to, you know, in her political grouping is Viktor Orban in Hungary. Right. I mean, she's having to deal with the fact that in the center right in Europe right now, it's it's threatened. I mean, she mm-hmm. has presided over a co- almost a complete collapse of social de- social democracy in Europe. Mm-hmm. The social democrats throughout Europe, with notable exceptions in Spain and some other places, yeah. are powerless. I mean, you see this in the UK. You see yeah. this in France. Like the social democrats are like the fourth largest party now in France, which is wow. absurd. Um, I, I, I might even be generous by saying fourth. They may even be fifth or sixth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Italy, you know, Renzi had a complete collapse, and now they're fourth, maybe fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Germany, they're what was it? Uh, Germany, they're yeah. likely going to finish third behind yeah. the Greens. I mean, yeah. the Greens have really eaten up most of their voters. Right. So throughout most of the continent, the center left is in real trouble. But but the center right has as much weakness it's, as the center left. Yeah. Yeah, because people are just kind of moving to the right. Everyone's kind of like, I mean, that's even we're seeing it here too, like in the U.S., like the people kind of going, moving left or moving right, kind of just like. Yeah, I would say the big difference oh, is wait. it's not just the ends that are eating the center. It's that, um, you know, and, and somewhat uh, the, the Greens and the Liberal Democrats, which I would say for our American listeners, Liberal Democrats means center, mm-hmm. basically center, center in yeah. the European context, not to the left yeah. but the greens and the, and the liberal democrats are ascendant right now mm-hmm. because they have artic- they have done a much better job than the christian democrats and the social democrats in europe of combating the populist right and left rhetoric mm-hmm. they have very clear agendas for the most part um, the liberal democrats especially in europe are very clear we are you know the liberal democrats in the uk is a big example yeah. we are very pro-EU, we're going to fight right. like tooth and nail to keep us in the EU. Um, in other countries, they say, no, we're, we're all about the EU. We want more power to the commission, more power to the parliament, um, continuing integration. The Greens have a very specific agenda about climate change that does very well amongst right. the European public. Um, whereas it, it, the social also, Democrats yeah. are not offering very much that's different from the Christian Democrats. I mean, the social Democrats have been in coalition with Angela Merkel for most of her yeah, tenure. It seems like the yeah. Greens have taken the lead on the climate issue, which was which is typically a big, you know, more of a left wing, and the refugee yeah. issue, which right. I think is even bigger for them, was when the Greens right. really adopted a, you know, we're going to be the answer to this anti-immigrant sentiment. Mm-hmm. That's what really has increased their power as well. And, and the Lib Dems in the UK, they you said they're on the ascendant, so in both nationally and Europe, less so nationally, but in yeah. the European Parliament, yeah. we're looking at some projections that say they could catch Labour for second place. Wow! So essentially. The conservatives and labor could finish third, fourth. Huh. Um, there's some polls that suggest the conservatives could f- slip even farther than that Beh- and actually yeah. find be- fall behind the Greens, okay. um, which would be cataclysmic for that party. I mean, mm-hmm. the European Parliament elections shouldn't matter very much because if you're a Tory, you're thinking you're leaving the EU in two weeks anyway. Mm-hmm. But 
to have a national poll after disastrous local elections um, about a month ago. Disastrous, where they lost a th- uh, uh, hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of seats. Um, this would be disastrous for them, too, where they may not even break 10%, and they're wow. supposed to be the largest party in the country. Hmm. Yeah. But, it, you know, if you're an American viewer, why the EU parliament Should, Ameri- should Americans care? Yeah. They should. Actually, they should, because it has gained its importance as the year has gone on. And and I'd say one big example is the trade agreement between the U.S. and the EU. Um, the EU parliament has to approve the negotiating mandate for any trade negotiations. So Cecilia Malmström, who's um, the chief EU negotiator, has to go to both the Council of the EU, the European Council, uh-huh. mainly she goes to, and the European Parliament to say, yes, this is what I'm going to negotiate. And if you're the Trump administration, the big, the big uh, sticking point between the US and the EU has been what they're going to talk about. It actually hasn't been the nuts and bolts of it. It's, uh-huh. it's that the EU only wants to talk about industrial goods. Were they the ones when they came and they, they brought like, like different color sticky notes and all that kind of stuff to explain shit to Trump. <laughs> like, no, like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna verify. That. <laughs> I think I, right. No, I think it, it might have been. Yeah, it was. It or was there like, was somebody they brought like cartoons. Like this is why trade is good. Or, <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. It was just basically a very like a color coded thing of like this is how it should work. And like I don't know if it was. I don't, I don't know if it was EU or it was definitely someone from Europe. I don't know if it was the EU itself or it was. It may have country. been some delegation, like some more minor delegation, I think. But yeah, it was on trade. Yeah. Whoever came up with that is genius and deserves a promotion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, so you know, the Europeans only want to talk about industrial goods. They want yeah. the steel and aluminum tariffs off and they want industrial goods to be talked about in the free trade agreement trump and this has been a constant u.s demand this is not just trump talking wants agricultural products included Mm. which is like huge yeah the electric rail the the worst thing you can talk with the europeans with is trying to get agricultural goods in the free trade agreements they barely have it with themselves why why is that a big uh a big (laughs) sticking point with the eu is the political power of farmers right so there's something called the Common Agricultural Policy in the EU, which is one of the most controversial parts of the EU. It actually has the most criticism attached to it, hmm. which is that the EU continues to pay subsidies to farmers in places such as Italy and France and Spain to buy them off for the fact that there are cheaper crops in newer member states. Yeah. So the real reason Turkey is not in the EU is not because there's some racial component or a religious component that plays a part. The real reason is, yeah. is because Italy and Greece don't want to compete with Turkey on their for, agricultural products. Really? Wow. Then Erdogan's, you know, like the amount of yeah. special designations for products, agricultural products in the Euro- yeah. European Union is in the thousands. I mean, they could but, have joined but, way before Erdogan. Plant, plant, so. plant things? This is, oh, plant things. I mean, the, the famous example is, you know, champagne has, you know, in order for be, champagne to be called champagne of the EU, it yeah. has to be from the champagne region. And, you know, and this goes... But it goes beyond even for, like, so Turkish grain, Turkish, you know... Parmesan cheese has to be from Parma, Italy, Yeah, right? (laughs) They they go that specific. And so negotiating agricultural goods with them is a nightmare. And they don't even want to start it because they know they're not going to do it. As well as the fact that there's still stereotypes about American regulation that's a little bit outdated. The the big example the Europeans will throw, chlorinated chickens is a big thing that the Europeans think that all of our chickens are poisonous, which I always throw back. If that was the case, then Americans would all be dead if it was yeah. really that harmful. Listen, we, I like clean chickens, okay? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chlorinated but, pools are clean. Chlorinated chickens are clean. <laughs> depending on how the European Parliament goes, I mean, the European Parliament it has a voice in how that negotiating mandate goes. So is there any mechanism to sort of, you know, get the gum out of the works, so to speak, in this the agricultural policy and have them come down to the table and at least talk or do the members 
in, you know, of that agricultural commission just thinking, well, you know, if we sit down, we already lost that kind of thing. So I mean, if I was, if I was advising the current administration, I'd say you're, you're going on a fool's errand trying to get them to open up agricultural products. It's not going to work. That being said, there is a legitimate argument and we have seen this play out of Trump deciding, fine, then I will tariff the hell out of them until they decide until they, they want to open it up. Right. Trade war. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the rationale for it. And you know what? To give them some credit somewhere, yeah. it hasn't been completely unsuccessful. Right. It's done, doing a lot of damage. It's doing a lot of damage to specific people in the U.S. Because what he doesn't understand is that, yes, as a whole, we may end up with a positive thing. But there is going to be significant subsets well, of the American population that really that's suffer why they're that, That's why they're introducing this um, basically tripling and quadrupling these the subsidies that farmers are going to, I mean, right. with the soybeans to China or something there, we're basically paying off um, or trying to stem as much damage as possible, which kind of lets you know, this is bad policy to begin with. If we're paying our own farmers, um, the difference <laughs> in what they're losing. And so, you know, going back to the EU parliament elections, I don't know what the impact of an increased block of Euroskeptics means for this, because on the one hand, they don't really want the EU doing anything, let alone negotiating huge free trade agreements. On the other hand, they are more likely to be pro-Trump than the people who are in Parliament right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, you could take that as it will. What it would mean for European Parliament stuff is that the majority of the the working center parties is much less than it was before. Mm-hmm. So the ability for the EU to get through legislation, which does now have to go through the Parliament, they've made those changes in recent years. It didn't mm-hmm. used to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, will be harder, which is sort of ironic because, again, the EU parliament was supposed to be this thing that was going to help integrationists with the EU, and now it's probably turning into the biggest weakness of the EU governing structure. It's going to be the hardest to push through legislation there because the majorities will be so slim. So with the populace kind of getting their foot in the more, more on the door, like what do you think their real end goal is? Like, is there, you know, they, you know, they always talk about, eventually countries have talked about, you know, leave that kind of stuff, you know, all different like iterations for fucking Brexit. But then they're like, oh, well, that's not looking great. So maybe I guess they're changing their strategy slightly to be like, okay, well, we're going to try to lessen the EU's grip on Do things. We, let's just, or is it like, let's just turn this thing into a tra- and like a, an economic zone or a trade agreement versus and where it's been going for the last, or where it's been trending for the if last 20, years? If they they could reverse it, sure. They yeah, don't think they can they reverse can. it. Yeah. It's delay, delay, delay. Right. Because, again, it's just been a constant, it's almost like a constant cycle of, Huge amount of reform of the EU, in which pushes it forward on its integration. Backlash, where we stop for a while, and then we push forward again. And the populists seem to be thinking that, and they're right, that they are probably at their high point in most of the history mm-hmm. of the EU. They can just delay mm-hmm. and block and obstruct. They can continue to sort of push back. But, but, I think the ultimate yeah. goal is eventually is to cede some power back from Brussels. Mm-hmm. That might be giving them too much credit, though. A lot of this is a protest vote. Um, and again, a lot of this has to do with national policymaking and less EU policymaking. Yeah. Um, but if they can do things like limit EU, EU, so for instance, uh, a big, you know, a big thing the league would want is a change in how the EU handles refugees and immigrants, changing the rules. So making it easier for them to deny entry to the EU for Mm -hmm. these folks and then changing what happens when they come to Italy Mm -hmm. because Salvini would love it if if a migrant shows up on Italy, he's allowed to dump it in a different European country. Yeah, that would be a huge win for him, huge win. Or better yet, stop that person from coming in at all. And uh, is that something that he could realistically achieve? Uh, no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, so, I mean they don't. So, again, so the elections don't ta- matter at all. We're talking about a, we're talking yeah. about a minority, an increased minority, but still a minority, and. 
But what he can do is stop the European Union from having an effective strategy to combat the migration. And that's almost that's as the good. aim. <laughs> that's the aim, and that's that's the danger. That's why people are concerned about it. Mm-hmm. So we have, on the one hand, we have these explosive headlines that are a little bit misleading about the power of populace. Yeah. On the other hand, it's very not in the EU Parliament, right? He can't really do anything in the EU Parliament, but he does control a government on the European Council. And for most of the things the European Council does, it's by un- it's unanimous votes. Really. One so, member state can really throw a wrench in all of this, which yeah. is why most Europeans are fine with the UK leaving, because it was usually the UK doing this. Yeah. But now it's Italy and Hungary and Poland and a bunch of these folks who are blocking any effective European response to this stuff because they completely disagree with it. Huh. Yeah, because, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, to a certain extent, like, the, the populists, like, have a a legit, you know, issue with the with the EU and how the structure and how it can be overbearing sometimes. But it's just like, oh, yeah, you guys are also fucking batshit insane and crazy nationalists. And like, you know, I wouldn't say fascist, but you know, like, you know, trying. <laughs> There's certainly a, um, you know, Europe is a place where history is very relevant. Yeah. Especially uh, the First World War and the Second World War. What has been disconcerting for a lot of folks is it would have been unthinkable for anybody to even allude to fascism as part of their um political ideology save a couple of random spots in in europe yeah um and is it's becoming much less taboo which is really concerning a lot of folks yeah that's the problem Um, especially amongst the far right um you know communist ideology has always been very deeply ingrained in the far left partly because it was never a huge threat to western europe yeah they're like okay have fun but uh especially in eastern europe where then World War II passes a very different connotation, mainly right. because they were more afraid of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's coming back up, mm-hmm. and that's concerning to a lot of folks. Even in Germany, they have basically the not Nazi Nazi party. Right. I mean, Germany's a yeah. special case because it's against the law, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they are prosecuting folks on that. Um, but certainly in Italy, the, the the big example is Golden Dawn in Greece, which yeah. is essentially a fascist party. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to... That are like, controversial uh, ways by calling them that. A Mussolini's uh, granddaughter is now like member of parliament. Sh- remember, remember the Italian parliament for which part? Was it League or is it? I, I don't remember. It yet, but... I don't know, but yeah, but she's like, yeah, you know, th- he did nothing wrong. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's nice. You think that I guess. Yeah. And it's it's uh, there's a concern that this is the beginning of the slippery slope with that. Right. Um, yeah, that, given that, the history of that continent's ability to handle its stuff, right? I mean, this is this is the refrain when folks were asking why the United States should care about NATO, and a diplomat made the analogy of like Europe's the teen who wants to drive and wrecked the car twice, and we're just going <laughs> to give them back pops, the keys now. Gets, yeah, uh, you know, the U.S. has been sort of the person to take the keys away from them. No, say, no, no, you're not driving anymore. Yeah, we're all friends. Yeah. We're going to hit this you. Is, yeah, and it's been a cornerstone <laughs> of U.S. policy to you know have a peaceful, disarmed, prosperous Europe. Um, and the e- partially because right. of that issue of tearing the world apart again and again and again. And the EU was supposed to be the anecdote to all this. Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be the way in which we were going to stop nationalism coming in. I, th- I do think it's working. And why it's working is because we have all these nas- nationalist parties, so yeah. to speak, who are all cooperating with each other. Right? It's not like we have a French national party who hates Italy's guts. Yeah. Right? Because they're, 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 they're yeah. cooperating, right? Yeah. We they, all having, hate, they all hate Brussels. <laughs> we are having a pan-European political conversation. <laughs> and that's not what was happening before, right? right. It, it was it was an, it was driven by national Yeah, you know, it was the yeah, the Germans who hate the French, the French who hate with everyone. The, with the yeah. big caveat of yeah. 
the fact that most of these far right parties are really making their banking their votes on anti-Muslim sentiment. Right. So that's the. You know, I'm gonna, it's I'll, not about. I'll caution. It's yeah. not all good because that's that's not great. Yeah. That is. It's not. Intra, it's not so much intra-Europe conflict. It's become a more racial. It's become an intra-society. Yeah, society. Yeah. Uh, sorry, intra-society. Yeah, 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 it's like Europe versus the world kind of thing, and like, and like we've seen that with the, some of the Well, it's a it's a European European Europe versus a global Europe. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. um, like, well, yeah, you, you look at like the Christchurch guy, like he like and like some of his all his references, a lot of the stuff was from like from, from France and Germany and other places like that. Yeah, and you've seen that in other places. So it's it's the problem is they're all getting on the same page, and it's just like, okay, I mean, you guys could be yeah. like far right, you believe in certain things, like, well, all Muslims are a problem, and we should you know get rid of the immigrants and they're invading our country. It's like. But, oh, oh, okay, cool. But it's not like just, it's... yeah. It's not just like a far right thing, though, because there's, I mean, there's jokes now that, you know, in Amsterdam, nobody, like, you don't need to speak Dutch anymore because everybody speaks English for the most part. As the And that, more than a um, sort of a Muslim invasion or, or whatever the, you know, the hardcore anti-immigrationists are talking about, it's that kind of globalism that is scaring people in a lot of Correct. ways. And the, driving, and, you know, we talked about the fascists, but the bigger wing of the right and the far right are the, you know, anti-globalists. Anti yeah, exactly. So. Now, the, 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 the optimistic thing about what we've seen yeah. is that far right parties are actually doing a pretty terrible job of governing. Right. Um, yeah. And that's losing them. That's losing their big chunk of people who may agree with like their immigration positions and their societal positions. Right. But, you know, the big, they don't like swastikas. The biggest example is Austria, where yesterday we right. had this big scandal that and essentially yeah. they've lost their position in government. You know, in Italy, the five star movement and league are went into this coalition government, which was supposed to be the spur of a united far-right, Euroskeptic European government, the example for other countries mm -hmm. to follow, and it's failed miserably. They hate each other's guts and are fighting, and that government probably won't last giving, yeah. what's, what's It's like you're giving them a little power, you're letting them, you know, what? coalesce and work together and to expose the fact that their ideas are not very practical well, for running a modern society. That's what the other big thing is, like, all the populists who might get into uh, seats in really, parliament, yeah. EU, EU parliament, it's like, they're gonna, they have, like, the general same, like, mindset, but they're not gonna agree on a lot of shit still. So it's not, sure. they're not going to be like this, okay, we're all unified because it's like, well, I think your idea is stupid. Well, you know. And at the end of the day, the European Parliament is supposed to be a legitimate representation of yeah. European society. And it wasn't doing anybody any favors 20 years ago when turnout was below 30% and you only had the people who liked the EU voting. They didn't help anybody. Now it, it helps is now. More of a yeah, where it's, it's actually representation. You can have some of these debates in a real way and have people feel that their, act, their voice is actually getting heard. Yeah, instead of just what it has been for most of its history is rubber stamping right. integration well, as policy. I mean, hasn't the really, you know, turnout still not been great? But I think maybe it's going to be better this time because I think a lot of people are either... They support their far right, the populist, like, whatever, yeah. and like they want to go out and vote for. There's also people like I don't want those guys to win. Like I don't like the EU that much, and I have a lot of problems with how it's run. But I'd rather be like what it is than what it could yeah. be. But yeah. the good thing, what he's um, basically the fact that you're you have these people in some position of power. There is an inclusive aspect. You get to that. You get to put that on display. It's not like the Nazis having secret meetings in like Munich beer halls and stuff. It's you know allowing people to fail in, in, in essence and and allowing people to you know see you know is, is this the, is this the party i really support whether it's left right center or what or neither um and you know, shine the spotlight on shining shine the spotlight on let give a release valve it's like you know the countries that 
you either have to ban all protest and like kill people who protest or you have to let people protest as a release valve anywhere in the middle there you're just asking for problems like repressing and you know you have to give people a re- some sort of release valve and yeah, i think that's yeah. that's what the eu's been doing it they're it's like they're doing better at it now but they're it's they did nothing to get to this point it's just sort of external forces have kind of created the situation we all hate the eu together yeah, and that's, keep... yeah. <laughs> and, and, that's but, what, but, and that's what that's what keeps the EU relevant. <laughs> and, and to your point, right? We're seeing the increase of the Greens and the Liberal Democrats precisely because they are promoting a legitimate pro-EU platform, and and voters are being attracted to that. Which is, and that's been an issue. The kind of li- liberal small L policies mm-hmm. have. I mean, it's almost like they've been taken for granted for the for the past 50, mm-hmm. 70 years. They haven't had to be defended and articulated to people um now they it's what, what, what you're saying with the greens and with the lib dems now there's kind of a platform coming together that says okay we need to realize that there is no end of history global consensus this is our these are our values a b and c this is what we want to do to fight for our values right and and to steal a phrase it you know it was the global's consensus but for years it was the european consensus right where essentially there was no big difference between the political parties their policies were almost identical yeah. the christian democrats the social democrats Basically, you could tell no difference between the two of them. And that really pissed a lot of people off, which is why we're getting this now. But it is now shaping it to where we're seeing legitimate platforms from most of the different movements that are real choices for voters, allowing them to actually to feel like they have their voices heard. Yeah. I mean, and I do think turnout will be up. It's difficult to say, and I could be completely proven wrong, but it does look like it will be mod- modestly up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and about European issues for one of the first times. This is not just <laughs> this is not just nationalist. Yeah policies you know like, you nationalists like, referendum come on guys we have to send somebody like yeah but even right. though like yeah it's i mean anyway most people they don't they weren't they didn't feel like they were being listened to and now it's kind of like well there's some sort of you know skin in the game so so we're uh out of time uh, unless anyone has really anything left to say i mean there's, pl- there's plenty to say but uh, final thoughts no no dave you're done <laughs> okay um so we're gonna do a follow-up event on this uh may 31st hopefully um you'll see more of that when we post it all right thanks guys thank you thank you ryan thank you